you know, if you're not showing up, you're nowhere. So show up. What is up? Welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, founder and podcast producer at Max Podcasting. And you can email me at max at maxpodcasting.com to save time with your high-quality podcast. This is episode 165-er, and today's guest is Neil Schaefer. And that, those both, yeah, I don't even know if that rhymes. Neil is one of the top social media power influencers in the world and global marketing bloggers. And it's not just me saying it, it's also Forbes and Ad Age and uh, plenty of other credible people saying it. And he's also the best-selling author of four books, including his latest, The Age of Influence. In this interview, we talked all about influencer marketing, how to leverage influencers, how to maybe even become an influencer of sorts if you're of sorts interested in that one day. And Neil is also fluent in Japanese and Mandarin, and he's spoken in over a dozen countries on four continents, so plenty of interesting stuff that we dove into there as well. It is Neil who will make you squeal because he is that talented. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with Neil Schaefer, the dude when it comes to influence and influencer marketing. Neil, how you doing? Thanks for joining today. I am just freaking hunky-dory. Thanks for having me, ma'am. <laughs> That that might be the best answer I ever. I I was not expecting just freaking hunky dory. Yeah, I just you know whenever you get asked that, I'm sure people just say, "Oh, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having." So I had to do something different there. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, we'll get into all the hunkies in the door. I don't even know what that means, but we'll we'll get into plenty about influence and in, uh, your awesome book, The Age of Influence, stuff in the influencer marketing space today. But before that, you spent a few years living in Japan, which. I've never been. I, I've never been to Asia at all. So I always thought it was really, really cool. I, I'm sure you were super immersed in the culture. Where did this inkling of an idea of even spending some time in Japan in the first place come from? Well, I grew up in Southern California in an area where, in high school, an overwhelming majority of students, you know, classmates were Asian Americans. So. I was already going to birthday parties in high school where I was the only Caucasian. And it sort of led me to like, what's the connection with all these people, right? Is is there like a cultural connection? And most of my friends were actually Chinese American. I decided when I went to university, I was going to learn a foreign language and do a junior year abroad. I'm like, well, why not learn Chinese? Wouldn't that be cool? So I learned Chinese, did my junior abroad. And lo and behold, I had a Japanese roommate in Beijing. And most of the foreign students there were Japanese. So I made a lot of Japanese friends in, in China that year. And I was also there during what's called the Tiananmen demonstration. So, And meanwhile, Japan was booming back in the day. So it's like, okay, well, senior year, I'm going to learn Japanese. And then uh, after I graduate, I'm going to start working in Japan. 
And that's what I, I pretty much did. Uh, ended up actually living there for 15 years, meeting my wife there. Our, you know, our first child, our daughter was born there. I learned to play the drum, recorded two CDs for a rock band. Uh, I got, you know, I learned how to scuba dive uh, and got licensed. I learned how to ski, just a lot of just tremendous experiences there. But after we had the the daughter, it's like, you know what, maybe it's time to come back to the United States and, and raise our children there. And and uh, ever since then, yeah, I've been back here, but I still speak, you know, because my wife is Japanese, still speak fluent at home. Our, our kids are bilingual. And I still work with a lot of Japanese companies, both in Japan and over here in the United States. So I was going to ask, what's the biggest impact that living there has had on your life? But it's literally impacted like every throng of your life <laughs> with your family, with with your work, with uh, your music and hobbies and, and everything there, even the languages you speak. So that's just incredible. What was your favorite part of living over there? Oh, man, uh, so many things. You know, going back to your impact question, though, I think that the three biggest impacts, if I was to analyze it, of, you know, how living there really impacted my life. Number one, attention to detail. Like Japanese culture is just obsessed with attention to detail. And I have sort of absorbed that. And, you know, whether it's play or work, um, I have this attention that I, that I never had growing up. We were, you know, who cares about the details, right? Uh, but in work, it can obviously be, be very, very important. I'd say another thing is just living overseas in general, you get a very holistic perspective on life and on business and, and on everything. And that really has helped me, especially in digital and social media marketing. I tend to see things a little bit differently, probably because of that experience and having to work with different cultures. I often went on business trips like China and Korea uh, while I lived in Japan. So very used to engaging and doing business with people from other cultures and other languages, other currencies, really other ways of doing business and really having to be accepting of everybody. So that's been another big impact I'd say it had. And I guess the last one would be, we don't do things half arse. I don't know what your podcast is rated. And, and we're, we're explicit so you can, you can totally. Okay. We don't do things half ass. And I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs. Oh, wait, hold on. That's are... very offensive, Neil. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs listening are probably nodding, but, you know, there's a story that's told by a lot of Japanese. Like during, and I forgot who it was, maybe the guy was over there during World War II or after, but he was actually, you know, a, a prisoner of war in the Philippines uh, after World War II. And, you know, Americans are there and, and they're like putting up houses or putting up structures. And they'd be putting up a structure and then like 5 p.m. the whistle blows and they would just like drop everything, uh, literally. And and sometimes like what they were doing was they would just like completely stop and they'd have to start over again the next day. But hey, it's 5 p.m. Work's done for the day. And it just goes against what a lot of, you know, Japanese like we don't stop until we finish the job, even if it means we stay a little bit later. And it's to the good of Japanese society. It's also to the bad of Jap Japanese society. We, there was a bunch of like overworked people. We had some suicides and stuff. But in general, you know, my takeaway is like, we don't do things half-assed. If we're going to do something, we do it to completion. If it means an extra 15, 30 minutes, an extra hour, we do it, right? And, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of like, you got to hustle for everything in life. But I am a big fan of if you have a commitment and if you want to stay on course, with your business and your life, sometimes it does take, if you're doing it on a nightly basis, it's another issue, but sometimes it does take that extra effort, the extra midnight oil, um, just to get shit done so that you can turn the page and move on to the next chapter. And I'm, I'm a big fan of that. So let's move full ass into influence. And <laughs> the, you have uh, your awesome book, The Age of Influence, and you've really kind of deep dive into this nature of influence and influencers. 
I, I don't know if you prefer to be called a, a marketing influencer yourself, but but we'll just say it. And I want to start here with what comes to mind when I say the term influencer? That's a great question. So, you know, the mass media has already labeled or given us a vision that an influencer is like that popular Instagrammer or TikToker, the person that just seems to do silly things, probably have a lot of fake followers, but makes a ton of money and can't we be like them and how do we get more followers? Uh, that to me is really just one little fraction of who are influential because even before social media influence existed, right? There are people that are just extremely influential. Mark Cuban, we were just talking about him, we saw him at Podcast Movement. He's extremely influential. I mean, yeah, he has tons of followers on Twitter and stuff, but he's influential outside of social media. So I think that the key to really, you know, understanding, you know, influencers and influence is who are the people that others tune into, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a YouTube video, whether it's TikTok, right? Whether it's a book, whether it's to see someone speak or TV, those people, the people that we tune into have influence. Now in the old days, for those that remember, before social media, they were pretty much all traditional media stars, you know, movie stars and TV stars and athletes, what have you. But today, when you're looking, you know, back in the day, it's like, how do I, how do I do something? Uh, you were probably going to buy a book or read a magazine. Today, you're probably doing a search on YouTube, finding a video, and now you're being influenced by a content creator, right? Now, how much influence they have over you is a question. But if you dive into like maybe watch their second video, third video, and then you see, wow, they have a course, they offer consulting. That's sort of how influence today works. So, you know, my, my whole thing about influencers and influencer marketing is, look, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're in business, you want to be able to reach out and collaborate with those that have influence over the communities that you want to target. So, you know, if I live in a local community, I mean, you, you go to a lot of like networking meetings, well, before COVID. So if you went to a networking meeting, you probably wanted to meet someone that had the ear of a lot of people in the community, because if you got to be friends with them, perhaps they can make introductions to you and get leads from them because they were so well known in the community. That's a great example. That's a community influencer, right? Probably irrelevant to social media, but nevertheless an influencer. So it's really thinking about influence in a very, very holistic way. But, you know, how can we collaborate to move our business forward? It's really funny, Max. I listen to a lot of entrepreneur podcasts myself and sort of marketing podcasts. And they always talk about collaboration. Like, hey, join a Facebook group and collaborate with the owner. That's influencer marketing. Hey, start a podcast and interview all the people that you want to do business with. That's, you know, you're you're leveraging your, your podcast as a vehicle to connect with influencers who you hope become your customers. So a lot of things that we've been doing, a lot of things that people have been teaching to me are all part of this umbrella that I would call influencer marketing. And when you realize that, when you treat those people as influencers, Instead of like spamming 100 people a day, when you reach out to each one individually because you don't want to be, you know, blocked by them, you want to become their friend and you'll go, you'll do whatever you can to become their friend. You just begin to see things a little bit differently, a little bit more strategically. And I think that helps you create better relationships where you actually do this sort of influence marketing even better. So on that note, how would you say that you can quote unquote do influencer marketing the right way? Well, influence and marketing at the heart of it is a collaboration. It's a relationship, right? So the best way to do it is to develop a genuine relationship, is to have a genuine interest in that person, to genuinely engage with their content, to genuinely, you know, read their books or, or you know, watch their YouTube videos, right? 
and to see how you can help them. So this is the thing. I mean, I'm sure, Max, you probably get a lot of people that want to be on your podcast. And I'm sure a podcast movement, you saw John Lee Dumas. I actually recorded. I need to get his permission to put it up on Instagram. It was like this. It fit one minute perfectly. The one minute Instagram video of this is how you should reach out to someone. And it was like this personalized, hey, I listened to your podcast. Really enjoyed episode number 264 where you said this. You know, I'm trying to bring that into my business. I just wrote a review for your podcast on, on you know, Amazon uh, or on Apple, you know, whatever it is. And hey, you know, I noticed of the past 100 episodes, you really haven't talked about X topic. You know, I've written a book about this. I've written several blog posts. And I really think for this reason, your audience of entrepreneurs would really dig this information. You know, I, I'll record, you know, whenever you're ready, just let me know and I can send you a link, um, you know, to, to schedule an interview. But if not, man, I just love your work and I'm going to continue to be a fan. Um, so, you know, what can you do in trying to build a relationship uh, that will get them to actually want to respond to you, to recognize you? It begins with giving first, right? And the give there is, well, it's personalized. It's like, hey, I'm really a fan, like genuinely. And it's like, hey, I already wrote you an uh, Apple review. And, you know, it, it may seem like a little thing, but podcasters love reviews, right? Yeah, this is, this is true. I've been toying with the idea of getting every review tattooed on me, but... It's not feasible. <laughs> I don't have any tattoos. But, you know, authors love Amazon reviews, hint, hint. And <laughs> I, I got you later today. There you go. <laughs> There's a lot of authors out there that you like, you know, you hear people about. And I've tried to like, you know, get Seth Godin in my interview. He never responds. But guess what? You know, I know people that have reached out to him right before he's about to launch a new book. And he's like, heck yeah, I'd love to be on your podcast because he wants to promote his book. So. Part of it's timing, but, but part of it is what is the give? What can you offer? And, and here is the message, ma'am. The bigger your platform, the more attractive you are to other influencers. In my book, I have this chapter of why, you know, your business or you should become more influential because the bigger an influencer you are, the more the other influencers want to work with you because you have a bigger platform. You can help promote them even more, right? So that's why influence is not something just to tap into. It's something to really build yourself. And when that happens... It makes reaching out to all these other people a heck of a lot easier. And then you get people that reach out to you. They want to support you because now they see you as the influencer. Exactly. I, I really like that last point. That's something I've seen as far as reaching out to guests, potential guests for my podcast. Like as you do more and more, ep and I'm sure you've seen this with yours as well, as you do more and more episodes and as I can say like, hey, I've had on Ali Webb from Drybar and, you know, Susan Bennett, the original voice of Siri and. Isabel Garvey from Abbey Road. Like when you can start to kind of drop names like that, but you know, it's, it's not just dropping names. It's like you have full interviews and like things that these potential guests can reference. It adds such a level of legitimacy and just it really, really helps from kind of the PR standpoint. And I, and I know that can work so well with influencers in general as well. How do you know though, what influencers are right for your business? Because I'm sure there's people that are influential in, in pretty much every vertical category you can imagine, but how do you track down the right people? Well, I like to take a very, like, you know, this experience living in Japan and, and doing business in Asia, it's a very holistic experience. Like, if you were interested in whatever product or service that you're selling and you went online, how would you find out about it? You probably do some searches. So who are the websites that are popping up? What are the YouTube videos that are popping up? What are the podcasts that are popping up? You know, we could do hashtag searches on Instagram. We could do searches in other social media. 
But what what is popping up? What is on the radar? And then you sort of dig in. You know, who seems to have more traction? Who seems to have more engagement, more following? Who seems to really be aligned with, you know, the type of entity that has the community that would be interested in your product? So there's no like scientific way of doing this. And there never will be. Because guess what? Every, you know, influencers are people and everybody's different. But really, if you start holistic just with that search, you know, put yourself in the shoes of your target customer and they're looking for help and they're not finding you. Who are they finding? Who are they gravitating towards? So with websites, uh, one of the tools I like to use is uh, Alexa.com. It's an Amazon web service company, but they offer a free uh, Chrome extension where you can see the popularity of any website. So my website is maybe like, I don't know, 29,000th in the world. Like it's in the top 10,000 United States. And I'll dig around going to websites. And if I see a website like that's like 10 million or 20 million versus another website that's like top 100,000, that's telling me that the one with top 100,000 just has a lot more website traffic and therefore probably has more credibility. So websites easy. Podcast, I go to a site called chartable.com. You could look up any podcast and it'll tell you if it's ranking in the top 250 in any country, in any category on Apple Podcasts. So, you know, when I get asked to be interviewed on podcasts, I'll check them out. I mean, do they, you know, are they, do they have any traction, right? Because if you're going to invest your time, you want to make the biggest bang of it. Um, so that's another way. And I use that when I, when I uh, published my new book, I was interviewed on 100 different podcasts. It was part of my own influence marketing strategy. And I used chartable.com heavily to try to find those that were more influential podcasters. YouTube, it's the same. There are tools like vidIQ, TubeBuddy that you can, you know, free tools. You can put it in, in a Chrome extension and try to find the popularity. You know, what are the specific videos that are really popular for these channels or, or, or what have you? You know, social media, uh, it might be the hardest, but, you know, do some hashtags. I think that's also the most intuitive. So, you know, if you just spend a little bit of time, if you were to spend an hour for any given vertical, I could give you a list of like 10, 20, 30 people that you should probably reach out to. And I think it's a skill that every entrepreneur should have because time in, time out. And when I was writing my book, some of the case studies as well, you know, these companies, these startups, and like 100% of their marketing budget was just in shipping out free product to influencers, having them post about it, and then, you know, really building a business from that. That's how powerful it can be when it's done right with the right product in the right industry and working with the right influencers, of course. I think that doing the research, you talk about a good skill to have, that really seems like a skill that anyone can kind of start at and, and get better at, get more efficient at over time. And John Lee Dumas talked about this as well as podcast movement. It's like, dude... He was talking about Kobe Bryant and like, you know, every day, may he rest in peace. But every day, I mean, he was at the gym working like six hours, seven hours, whatever. It's it's, it's about, you got to do the reps, right? You're not going to, you know, after like 50 podcast episodes, you're not just all of a sudden become number one. It takes time, but it also takes reps to improve your craft. It's like 55, I think, is the, the mark <laughs> for podcast episodes. It's just then. But it's such a universal principle like I was at my, my daughter is sort of struggling with pre-calculus now in high school. So they had this back to school night and she's like, daddy, like my homework, th there's just so much volume in my homework. It's not difficult, but it takes me so long to do because of the volume. And so I, I reached out to the teacher. I'm like, like, dude, like, you know, my daughter's really struggling, not because it's hard, but because of the volume. And as he was talking about his philosophy about teaching it, he goes, you know, kids these days use the calculators. They don't know how to calculate without a calculator. They don't know how to do it old school. And I'm like, I just raised my hand. I'm like, okay, so my daughter having to do all the homework, it's about reps, isn't it? He goes, yes. And the, he was a former, you know, uh, he was in the Marines as well, <laughs> but it's all about the reps. So 
that, that's universal, man. Whether it's YouTube videos, I mean, with content creation, you don't get to a certain level. Even like in the speaking world, they say it's going to take you like 100 speeches to be able to really get into a rhythm. So I know like a lot of entrepreneurs, our, our society, it's like, hey, you know, quick buck, um, ASAP. But some things just, you know, like a fine wine, they, they just take a little time. You got to put in the reps knowing that you will get better. And there will come a point, a tipping point where all the work you put in does pay off. You got to believe in it, right? And if it's not paying off at a certain point, you may need to rebrand. You may need to do a little tweak, realign yourself. But yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of doing the reps and just sticking the course. My head is spinning from pre-calc. Now, I, I was pretty good at it, but I have not quite looked at that in recent years. So it'd be, that would be an interesting psychological experiment, I guess mathematical experiment, just to uh, do pre-calc homework these days. I couldn't do it. <laughs> if you have a podcast or your business has a podcast and it's feeling more and more like homework, allow me to be the dog who eats your homework. If you are just feeling stressed and stressed about your podcast and it's just layering and layering on top of you, filling up your plate left and right, truly feeling like pre-calc homework that's way too long, hit me up at max at maxpodcasting.com. I will take a big bite out of what's on your plate, chomp, and help you save time with your high-quality podcasts and even throw in some corny animal metaphors as well. Email me at max at maxpodcasting.com to save time with your high-quality podcast. Now, let's hear Neil get real on influential, influence and influencers in a wild fashion. Let's get to a fan-favorite segment called the Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. The Wild Business Shoutout of the Week! Wild Business Shout of the Week, this is where we talk about creative marketing campaign approach, something that kind of broke through the clutter. And you alluded to it earlier, but you had a very, very creative and clever, I'll give you creative and clever, approach to marketing your book, The Age of Influence. you mind sharing what you did and kind of what worked well? Yeah, thanks, man. And yeah, I'm not here to like promote the book at all, but this book... It's okay. I'll, I'll allow you. <laughs> I'll, I'm an entrepreneur too, right? But, you know, this book published March 17th, 2020. So just imagine what was happening. I believe it's the day or it was two days later that California went on lockdown. And I had all these people saying, dude, I'm so sorry about the timing of your book. It must suck. And it's like, this is like, I rage inside. I love challenges, right? It's like, no, I'm. this book is going to sell you know, better than any of my other books. And I'm going to figure out a way around it because guess what? People are still, it, it's like we haven't unplugged from the internet. So it, it's really what started me on this journey of not only leveraging, you know, obviously my own concepts to sell the book, but also what's going to turn out to be my next book, which is this digital first approach to marketing. So in a world where we can't physically meet, what can you do? And I began looking around, well, who are my influencers? So one of the things, you know, I, I asked my publisher, HarperCollins Leadership. I mean, they, John Lee Dumas published with them recently, huge publisher. Hey, you know, should I hire like a uh, PR person or, you know, what is your recommendation? They said, no, you should try to be on as many blogs and podcasts as possible. I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. So I, I thought about a few things, right? I thought, well, what are the influential mediums out there? There's obviously like web slash blogs, but how are you going to get on blogs? I mean, 
it's not like there's a lot of blogs out there about book reviews. And when there are, it's like the New York Times. That's not going to happen. I looked at social media and yeah, I mean, I have a following and stuff. I looked at YouTube. It's like, well, I mean, there are some interviews on YouTube, but not really. But podcast is the only medium where interviews are like mainstream. And there are a lot of podcast hosts that are always looking for new people to interview, right? For whatever reason. And when you have a new book, it gives you something to say. So part of what I did was, okay, I'm going to do a few things here. Number one is I'm going to try to appear on 100 podcasts within 90 days. And I pretty much was able to do that. Oh, man. That's a very busy 90 days, I imagine. Yeah, it was awesome. And they were all marketing, right? Marketing, digital marketing. They were all, you know, charted either on the United States, Australia, Canada, United Kingdom, which are my four big markets. And I met a lot of great people. In fact, one uh, person that interviewed me ended up becoming my client. So we forget about, you know, podcasting is also about relationships, right? And you never know where those relationships are going to go. Like even like you and me, Max, I mean, maybe I'll see you here in Irvine next time you're around. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll be sipping, you know, margaritas at the Laguna Beach. But <laughs> you know me too well now. Yeah, that's sort of the way it works. So that I, I know that that had tremendous word of mouth and that, you know, anecdotally people are like, hey, you know, I saw you. Uh, or, I mean, I heard you and I bought your book and, 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 you know, I ended up getting more introductions and, and, and actual business. So, so that was awesome. And even today, um, I still have clients from, uh, being a guest on podcasts. The other thing that the publisher told me was that the number one thing you can do outside of that to sell more books is to get reviews on Amazon. Okay. So I was like, huh, get reviews on Amazon easier said than done if you're ever published a book, but it's like, you know what? I've published three other books. I already have people that are reviewing me. Why don't I just reach out to them and say, hey, I'd love to send you like a free review copy if you'll consider writing me an Amazon review. I'm tapping into my customers. I'm tapping into people that already know, like, and trust me, right? So right out of the gate, I, I knew that I was going to be able to get a bunch of reviews. The second one is, well, what about people that have reviewed books similar to mine? Because on Amazon, a lot of people actually post their name. So I hired a VA. I'd like he, these are like the 50 books that are most you know most similar to mine and basically in a spreadsheet had them write out every single person that reviewed every one of those 50 books and then I began to see people that tended to review lots of books and then when I went into LinkedIn it's like dang I'm already connected to a lot of these people I've just never had an excuse to reach out to them or they're following me on Instagram right I should reach out to them and say hey I'd love to hear your opinion of my book and if you like it would be honored by review Boom, there's another bucket. So I had another, I, you know, it's not like I have this theme of 100, but I want to be on 100 podcasts, boom. I wanted to get to three-digit Amazon reviews, 100 reviews, boom, got there. Same technique, just reaching out to people like new, new and trust me or influencers, which in this case are not people with lots of followers, but people that actually spend time to write an Amazon review, which is gold. And in fact, for every podcaster out there, Max, I haven't done this with podcasting, but you might be able to find a similar way to do that with podcasting. Find people that write a lot of podcast reviews, right? That pay it forward. The other one was this book could also become a textbook. So I did a LinkedIn ad campaign where I just targeted university professors that taught marketing. And that led to a number of interesting conversations, including one a teaching gig that I was able to pick up from a European university, um, as well as, you know, just lots of feedback on the book um, and, and lots of other promotion opportunities. So, you know, I, I think whatever you do, what I didn't do was just blindlessly spend thousands of dollars on Facebook ads, right? I could have done that. And I, I had a preview of the book. That sounds wonderful, actually. What, what a fantastic, <laughs> perfect orchestrated use. 
Yeah, influencer marketing is all about a people-centric market. It's all about developing those relationships and the ROI that you get, which is very long-term. It's not just like a single campaign. So everything is about who are the influencers, university professors, Amazon reviewers, podcasters. What can I do to win their favor? What can I do to get feedback from them, to get them involved in my book and to get them ultimately to share it with their audience? And boom, I mean, that that's what I did. So um, there were some other things I did. I think those are the three that, probably had the most impact. And I think also conceptually, anyone listening can begin hopefully to see their business in a new way. And it's like, okay, who are the people out there that can really push the ball forward? Sometimes it's not the person with the most followers, but it's, you know, what you begin to understand, Max, is anybody that's a content creator is an influencer. Every every podcaster influences 50 people in a room, 100 people, however few or many that listen to every episode they influence them, right? So you begin to see everybody with a podcast channel, a YouTube channel, people that publish on social media frequently, people that publish reviews on Amazon or Yelp, right? Or whatever. You begin to see people a little bit differently and realize that those people have a lot of power. And if somehow you can figure out a way to work with them, uh, that that power is going to work in your benefit. I see what you're doing, Neil. I, you are influencing. You're very influential when you talk about influence. I also give you a 100 grade on your calculus no not your calculus best but your approach to launching your book because podcast guesting amazon reviews uh seeking out people who already follow you and and already are interested in you these things just work and so when you have a launch something really exciting when you can reach out to your network and also find people that actually do engage and do this stuff there's no wonder why you've seen so much success with it and also uh received a 100 on your test so congrats again and dude, here's the thing. If I didn't do that, what could I do, right? So even if I couldn't measure the impact of the success of any one of those, well, what else could I do? What What are the other things I can do to try to move the ball forward? Facebook ads, your entire <laughs> life savings. <laughs> exactly. So even when you may not see the impact, it's also strategy is also deciding what not to do, right? Like not doing Facebook ads. <laughs> We're going to, Zuckerberg is going to hear this and just end my podcast. No, Apple loves it, man. They're competitors, so it's all <laughs> it's, good. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> so let's wrap up with some rapid-fire Q&A sponsored by Mark Zuckerberg. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> let's get wild. You ready for it? You got to buckle up. Uh, I was going to take my shirt off, but I don't know how wild we want to go here. There we go. That What a wonderful sound. <laughs> what is a Japanese food that you still haven't gotten tired of. Okonomiyaki. Okay, you're going to have to say that again. Okonomiyaki. Oh, that was much better. So what is that? <laughs> it is a local cuisine found in Osaka that is a, it's like a pancake batter that is thinly put on a tepan on a grill and you put lots of cabbage on it. Uh, you also put, uh, you know, various uh, meats or fish um and uh you tend to put like an egg on top of it as well and then you you bake it on both sides and you add some sauce a little bit like worcester sauce mayonnaise uh seaweed flakes and bonito flakes on top and it is out of this world if you follow me on instagram every year or so i post a okonomiyaki pic so you have to dig through my feed to find it perfect and then i'll know how to spell it and pronounce it and, and what it looks like and everything i can't wait there you go on a similar note what is something about the languages of Japanese and Mandarin that you think most people who don't speak that language would be surprised to know about it? Yeah, believe it or not, Chinese is going to be easier than Japanese if you're an English speaker because the Chinese 
language follows the same sort of ordering of noun verb subject that English does. So like I love you, well I need is the same. Oh, thank you. Uh you too, Neil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro- brotherly love here. But <laughs> in Japanese, it would be, you know, I you love. The verb comes at the end of the sentence, which I I think someone mentioned that German does this as well. But so that's number one. Number two, the really interesting thing is that I find that a lot of Chinese and I met at least in mainland China they're they're very close to Americans. They sort of they speak from the heart. Whatever's in their mind, they they spurt it out. Whereas in Japan, it's just the cultural norm is sort of to beat around the bush in a lot of things. Like if you're in a business meeting and they're they're like done, um, and they're not even going to consider you, they'll say we're going to consider you. We're going to think it over. So Japanese <laughs> know when they hear a Japanese say we're going to think it over, like they have no chance of getting the business. But Americans who don't understand the Japanese language and the nuances of the culture will think, oh gosh, we have a chance. Uh, so yeah, those are the those are the two things. So yeah, a Chinese mom, they're be, thinking it over. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to tell my VP of sales they're still thinking it over. They're still thinking it over. <laughs> so that could be a pet peeve. What is your biggest pet peeve? Oh man. Well, okay. I just seem to get so many emails of people that want to be on my podcast, want a link from my website. In other words, these people are trying to promote their businesses, leveraging my platform, right? And this is like the the biggest no no. I don't want you to like, oh man, Neil. What Neil says is great. I'm gonna start like, I'm gonna buy some email marketing software, and I'm just gonna automate all these messages. So what I do when people reach out to me, my daughter is my intern, right? So I will have her from her email address send an email saying, oh, if you want to be on this podcast, here's a link to the form, or oh, if you want to be on this blog, here's where you can find out more information. And what inevitably happens, Max, you can imagine, people set these automated emails up that if I don't reply to their email because they have tracking code in it, if I don't reply to their email within like the next, sometimes it's two days, sometimes it's a week, they send me a second request, right? It's like, no, my daughter already replied to you. You clearly either, number one, are not reading my emails, or number two, um, you're too lazy to turn off your autoresponder uh, because I already responded. So though that that is my total pet peeve. That is not, once again, if you're reaching out to a content creator, a blogger, a podcaster, you don't want to do that on automation, man. Even if, you know, you mentioned, uh, Max, like uh, your your father, and I know you weren't going to tell dad jokes, but like list building and, and you know, and stuff like that. Uh, no, no I, I was going to tell dad jokes. You got, you got that <laughs> wrong. Thank you for the reminder. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, you can you can like buy lists. That's awesome. It's the way you leverage that information, right? Instead of like automating the email of actually going out and starting to engage with them on social media and build a relationship that way, that that's the way to do it. But if you just automate and put all those email addresses in and you send email after email, I add these people. I use a tool called SaneBox, okay? It's a Gmail add-in. And when people automate the second time, even though I've responded, they go into what's called the same black hole and I will never see an email from them again. And it's really funny. I'll sometimes go into the folder and I'll have people email me like five times. It's like, I'm, I'm not responding. I'm not seeing your email and, and I'll never see it again. You do not want to burn any bridges with content creators. So that that's my pet peeve and also my advice. I'm totally with you. And I, I get the same sorts of emails from people that want to be on the podcast. And I, of course, I'm, I'm honored when somebody wants to be on the podcast. But when you get emails from people that have clearly like never even listened to a second of any episode, like I've gotten some emails like, hey, do you ever have any entrepreneurs on the podcast? Or like, do you ever have any marketers on the podcast? I'm like, oh man, what a way to start an email. Oh yeah. On a completely different note, you love to play the drums. Besides that, what is a creative hobby that you geek out about? Uh, well, currently our family has a fantasy baseball team that I'm number one in. So I, I Ooh, totally congrats. geek out. Wait, wait, which, which is great because whenever, like, 
when this gets released, no matter what place you're in, you'll be number one. Most people think you're still number one. So congrats. Oh, dude, I'll be number one. I mean, you know, <laughs> um, I, I grew up like collecting baseball cards and stuff. And I could tell you the stats of like any baseball player at the time. So I, I don't know. I just love like I geek out on data. Part of why I probably love digital and social media marketing. I love the data aspect as well. But even now, like while we're talking, I'm like making sure my lineup's set for today. And I do an analysis of, you know, do I have the right pitchers in my team? And so, yeah, I, I sort of geek out about that. Now my, my family sort of hates me because I'm in first and they think somehow like all my pitchers are using resin and the whole bit. But uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I geek out about those things as well. So does my father, actually. Huge baseball card guy growing up. But I actually have a client. They're called Bet Prep. They're in the sports betting and analytics space. Nice. And one of the hosts of a couple of their podcasts is this guy, Michael Salfino, who you should definitely follow if you're not already. Because one of his jobs, one of the things he does in addition to all this, is he writes the bios and like the stats on the back of Topps baseball cards. No way. Yeah, so he is like a walking, like just Hall of Fame of, of trivia knowledge of random baseball stats. That's the most fascinating thing. That That is incredible. You know, like my son sort of has my DNA and he's really into soccer. So I did like this podcast interview with someone in Sweden, right? I'm like, okay, dude, who is like the most famous like Swedish soccer player outside of Ibrahimovic? And, and he'd be able to like name, oh yeah, it was like the 1956 World Cup champion. And, and so yeah, oh, I, I think it's it's a skill, but that's a really cool though, writing for the back of Topps cards. I mean, I that was like my encyclopedia growing up. And last one, shout out Irvine, shout out Orange County, shout out Adam, my future brother-in-law. What's your favorite part of living in Orange County? I enjoy, I mean, so I lived in Japan 15 years, right? And I did a lot of business in China. So I, I love like Asian food. And we have such a vibrant a multicultural community here in Orange County. And we have some of the best like global cuisine anywhere. Um, whether it's like Mexican food, obviously because of the influence from Mexico, but the Asian food here, whether it's Vietnamese or Japanese or Chinese, Korean, it's really hard to beat other than going to the home country. So yeah, it's it's just a food fest here every night if you make it out to be. And, and I mean, it, when I exercise, I make it a food fest. When I'm not exercising, I stay away from the food. But that's one definitely one of my favorite things about living here. You have successfully made me extremely hungry. So <laughs> well, we'll fly back out to Orange County just to, to, to get a taste of it in a little bit. But Neil, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Really appreciate your tips, your stories, everything in the influence space, in the uh, calling out dad jokes space. Where, where's the best place for people to, one, buy your book, and two, just connect with you and learn more about you? Sure. Well, uh, my book is called The Age of Influence, so it's available on Amazon or wherever you buy books. I am Neil Schaefer everywhere on social media, including website neilschafer.com. I am the real Neil, so it's N-E-A-L. Don't be a Starbucks barista and spell it like K-N-E-E-L or anything weird, but <laughs> N-E-A-L-S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R. I also have a podcast. I am announcing for the first time that my podcast, formerly known as Maximize Your Social Influence, will probably by the time this episode is published, be known as Your Digital Marketing Coach. So, Aww. Uh, no, it was, it was very exciting. I appreciate it. This is very special. That was from uh, the, the Blue Ocean Strategy. And, and yeah, uh, I, I'm just here to help and uh, love to help your uh, business out as well. So feel free to uh, subscribe and I'm going to help you grow your Grow your bottom line one episode at a time is my commitment. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Last thing, final thoughts. It could be a quote, a line, a uh, drum pad solo, whatever you want. Send us home here. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is 80% of success is showing up. You know, if you're not showing up, you're nowhere. So show up. 
show out, show up. Neil, thank you for your feel on the world of social media influencers, drumming languages beyond and beyond. And thank you, Wild listeners, for tuning in to another episode. If you want to hear more wild stories like this one, make sure to follow the Wild Business Growth Podcast on your favorite app and tell a friend about the podcast. Maybe even share some uh, baseball cards and, and random baseball facts with them. Why not? You can also find us on Good Pods, where you can find Neil's podcast, as well as awesome podcast recommendations and podcast people. And for any help with podcast production, you can learn more at maxpodcasting.com. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! Bongos!